Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. This morning we're going to turn in the Word of God to the Sermon on the Mount. We're in the middle chapter of that sermon. And if you have to divide a sermon into three chapters, probably those who did that division did a good job of it by choosing the places that they chose to make the, the points of division. Of course, they didn't have to divide it. Um, Psalm 119 is, is a, in, an integrated whole and the uh, framers of the chapters and verses left it as one unit, even though it's lengthy, and they could have done that with this, but considering that they did do it, they chose good places to make those divisions because the first chapter, chapter five, the beginning of the sermon is really about the righteousness that God expects from us. Chapter six is about the rewards that we seek, where we are seeking our reward, and that's the chapter we find ourselves in this morning. You may remember that last fall, I said to the congregation that we were going to be working this year to reach people for Christ. And now we're at home. Now we're, we're socially distanced. And the opportunities for witness that we were envisioning are less rather than greater. And yet our power and our ability to influence this world for Jesus Christ are in no way diminished by the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Last fall, we committed to fasting for a day that God would work through us as individuals and as a church to bring people to know him. We said that we would do it again in the spring. We said we would do it the day before Monday, Thursday, and that we'd break our fast together on Monday, Thursday. We are still hoping to do that, not the breaking of the fast together, that we'll have to wait until later in the year. But we ask you as elders, I ask you as your pastor, to commit to fasting, to give a day, 24 hours without food, to prayer, to going to God, and we ask that you do this on the 8th of April, which is the, the Wednesday before Easter as we were planning on. And then we'd love to see you on Monday, Thursday, celebrate God's goodness to us, God's goodness through his son, the gift of Jesus Christ in your own home. We'll do it again later as a family, corporately, but please consider fasting. I'm going, to, I'm going to read a passage on fasting. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. This is the word of God. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, this is your word. It is true. It is eternally true and it's powerful. These are the words of Jesus, his commands and his teaching to his disciples. And we pray, Father, 
You'll speak to us through these words that you'll let them penetrate our hearts. I pray that you'll guide me as I speak on it. Father, be glorified in our midst, we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen. Certain things seem to be relics of the past, things that we no longer experience or know. Um, The need to crank a car to get it started. I can remember my brother owning a truck that had a hand crank to start, but I haven't seen another car in 40 years that had a hand crank. And maybe many of you don't even know what a hand crank is. Hand ironing shirts is becoming something like that. I don't know many people who hand iron their own shirts anymore with the non-wrinkle fabrics and the, the availability of dry cleaning. The, the hand iron in a shirt seem to be going the way of the hand crank in the car. One of the things that I fear has gone as a relic of the past into history and not not advanced into the present with the church, with the people of God, is the practice of fasting. In the Word of God, fasting appears on about a dozen different occasions, actual fasts. There's teaching on fasting by Christ. There are other portions which seem to indicate perhaps a fast, but it's not actually stated. In this passage, Jesus is speaking to us and he's in the midst of a a portion of the sermon where he is telling us that he wants us to seek reward from on high rather than reward that is found on earth. And he's saying, when you fast, don't do it so that people look at you and go, oh, he's fasting, but do it in secret so that your father who is in heaven sees you fasting, knows what you're doing, and he is impressed and he is, he is sought and found through that fast. Now he said the same thing about giving to the poor. He said the same thing about prayer. He speaks of these things and he says, don't do your giving before the world or you're gonna get your reward from the people of the world and you won't get any from God. He said it about prayer. He says, go into your closet to pray. Don't do it on the street corners, but instead have a closet where you go to pray. I think we find it hard to conceive of people praying on street corners or giving with trumpets like he speaks of. Or even as our passage this morning speaks of fasting, putting on gloomy faces, neglecting our appearance so that we'll be noticed by men. All these things are things that we go, whoa, we wouldn't do that. But perhaps the desire to look good in the eyes of men when we do these things isn't as far from us as we think. I'm not certain that what Jesus speaks of here has uh, immediate relevance, giving with trumpets or that kind of thing, and yet we do give publicly and we like to boast about it. It's always with us. When we pray very often, it's only in public because our private prayer closets that Jesus speaks about are dusty and bare. They haven't been occupied. And when we fast, well, Uh, fasting exists today it's called intermittent fasting and there are pages about it all over the web but the reason that the fast is engaged in is often so that I'll look better it's not to impress men by our spirituality it's to impress others by our slimness and uh, and that is every bit as wrong 
as doing it so that we look like we're praying. If our fasting is only to look better before men, then we have our reward, which is looking better before men. But what is fasting to be? Why does Jesus commend fasting as he does in these verses? Well, fasting is a a cry to God, a statement to God, often in extremis, not always, often at a time of great danger and fear, not always then. It's a cry to God that says, God, I don't even want food because my desire is you. I need you, God. I must have you, God. I don't even want food or water because I need you. This is the essence of fasting. Saying man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Jesus in this passage gives us an example and a reason for fasting. Now, an example in this passage. Well, if you recall, just prior to this sermon, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and his tempting in the wilderness came at the end of a 40-day fast. That fast was the inaugural fast of his, of his years of earthly ministry. It began it. Uh, out of that fast came just this spurt of action and power. And Jesus fasted and then he taught and in his teaching he taught on fasting. Jesus lived the life that he's calling you to live and me to live in this chapter. He did his good deeds and he told those to whom he did the deeds, don't tell anyone. He went out in secret prayer, leaving his disciples, going into the hills at night to pray. He knew what it was to be alone with his father. And that epic fast at the outset, now we're not told that he fasted ever again, but we know he did. Why should we fast First, because Jesus lived as a faster. He lived the the life that he he calls his followers to lead in these verses. Second, we should fast because Jesus clearly expects it of his followers. When he says, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full, but you, when you fast... It's obvious that he's expecting us to fast, isn't it? Can you deny that Jesus expects us to fast? Interestingly, the the verb is in the subjunctive, and when that subjunctive is used with this, this tense that we find here, that mood and the tense combined, it means an ongoing um, perpetual thing, not something that's done once, but an ongoing expectation. And so Jesus saying, whenever you fast, is actually saying, as you fast throughout life, The expectation is that his followers will fast. You may remember that Jesus' disciples came to him and uh, and with John's disciples. The disciples of John were being critical of Christ and his disciples. They said, look, we fast, but you and your disciples, you don't fast. Why is it that you don't fast? Jesus responded, the friends of the bridegroom cannot fast as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days are going to come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. So he said, they're going to fast. In the day that I am taken away, my followers will fast. Jesus has been taken away from us up into heaven. These are days for fasting. 
These are days for turning to God. He's given us a job. He's given us a calling. There's a world that needs Jesus. People are dying under the wrath of God. Dying physically, dying spiritually. This is a time to fast. It is right to fast at such a time. So we should fast because Jesus fasted. He lived the life he calls us to. We should fast because Jesus expects it of his disciples. He he clearly expects that we will do it. And we should fast because of the nature of the world we live in and the character of the church in our day. Sin is all around. It's a day of sin in our nation, but not just in our nation, across the world. Some years ago, Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Graham, said something that I've never forgotten. She said, if God does not judge our nation, America, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a strong statement, but I think we sense the truth of it. We're living in a dark time. Sin is rampant. But it's not just culture and society around the world. The the 500 years of progress and of growth, even in the Roman Catholic Church with the counter-reformation and the good changes that it brought. But I'm speaking especially of the Reformation and the, the finding of new life, the turning to God for salvation, the understanding that Jesus has come to save us and that it's not our works, but it's the power of God that transformed the world, worked for 500 years to create a world in which this message was found and believed in cultures that were strong in Christ. I'm not claiming they were Christian. I'm not saying that they were the kingdom of God on earth. They were human nations. But there was a righteousness and an understanding of God that the church was at the center of. We saw the days of the Reformation. We saw the days of the Moravians and the the Anabaptists and the continent of Europe and the missionary movement they founded. We saw the days of the Puritans and of following them, the great awakenings in England, in America, the days of the Reformation in France, the glory of the the work that God did in Italy and Spain at that time, the taking of the gospel by the early missionary movement after the Moravians and after the Roman Catholics sent their priests, by the Protestants, the the beginning of the movement at the haystack in Andover, Newton, New Hampshire, when the men committed to go to the Lord and began a movement that said that for 200 years sent people out into the world, transforming nations like Burma and China, bringing the gospel to places that had not heard it for, for centuries. A great and strong church in many ways around the world. And now, decade after decade of a church that seems to grow weaker and weaker, where every month there are new scandals, new new stories that bring us shame about what we have been doing and how our leaders have led us. We are the hope. Jesus could have sent angels into the world to bring the gospel. He could have caused the gospel to move on angels' wings to be carried by flaming chariots of fire. But he didn't. 
He gave the gospel, he entrusted it to us. And we are responsible for bringing people to Jesus. We are the hope of the world. We are the light. We carry the medicine against this plague. We are the doctors and we need power. We must have power. We must be alive in God. And if we're not, then it's cause for prayer and reason to fast. Fourth, finally, we should fast because God rewards fasting. God rewards those who seek him in prayer. On at least 12 occasions, I said in scripture, people fasted and they had power. Let me tell you something. The people who fasted in scripture are a, a kind of polyglot crew. They are some of the most notorious sinners of scripture and some of the most righteous men and women of scripture. And in every occasion, from notorious sinner to man or woman of righteousness, when they fasted, God heard in amazing ways. Let me pause for a moment to say the time to fast is before the hammer falls. The time to fast is as we see the storm approaching or the decision coming. The time to fast is when we see the need and go to God. Fasting in scripture doesn't take place in the midst of the trial. It precedes it. The warning comes from God. There's a presentiment of something going to happen and the people turn and fast. So I wanna close by speaking to you of a number of times when we saw, when we see in the Bible people fasting and the crises and what happens. In the midst of great crises, Jehoshaphat, the great and godly king of, of the southern kingdom of Israel, attacked by Moab and Ammon. We read that came about after this, the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Meunites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he turned his attention to seek the Lord and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So all Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. And what happens? God sends word that I will be with you. This battle does not belong to you. This battle belongs to the Lord. And as they praise God at the conclusion of their fast, God sends his armies against the army that had encamped against the Israelites and defeats them. We see this with Esther. It's not just men who fast. Esther understands from her, her, her cousin, Mordecai, that the vile Haman has sought to kill all the Jews. And she said, what can I do? I can't do anything. And Mordecai says to her, Esther, if you think you can, you can survive this and get away because you're in the palace and the rest of us are gonna suffer, let me tell you, God's going to get you and the rest of us are going to be delivered. Don't think that you are free from responsibility. And so what does Esther say? 
She told her maids to go back to Mordecai and reply to him, go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way and thus I will go into the king which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. And you know how that story ends. You know how Esther saves her people. Crises, before the crises, before the storms. People also in scripture fast in the knowledge of great guilt. Jonah is sent by God to Nineveh and when he finally arrives there, we read, then the, and preaches his message of repentance, repent for in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And we read, the people of Nineveh believed in God and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him and covered himself with sackcloth and sat on ashes, issuing a proclamation. He said, in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do let, not let man, beast, herd or flock taste a thing do not let them eat or drink water but let them all be covered with sackcloth and call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands who knows perhaps God will repent relent withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish and we read when God saw their deeds that they turned from their wicked way. Then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. What an incredible story. This is not a righteous king. It's not a righteous people, but they turned to God in fasting, and God relents. David, after his sin with Bathsheba, while the child that was born as a result of that adulterous union was still alive, fasted and fasted, and the child died, and you might think that the death of that child was a sign that that fast was not effective. But after the death of that child, God sent his messenger back to David to say to him, I have heard you, and I have turned my wrath away. And the very next child born to David by Bathsheba was the one that God said, I love. Don't think it had nothing to do with David fasting. David's fast led to forgiveness and to a great and powerful son of God that was his own son, to the continuation of that promise that the Messiah would come from him. We have several other powerful examples of fasting. They're powerful because it's not a man fasting for his own sins, but it's a man fasting for the sins of his people. Nehemiah realizing the sin of the nation, hearing the words of the law of God, sat down, wept and mourned for days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven and God gave power to Nehemiah. Daniel, likewise, for all Israel in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of Median descent, was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of years, 70 years, so I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, 
Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God, we have sinned. We are responsible for our brothers. We are our brother's keepers. We are not separate from our nation. We don't get to say, well, that's them, it's not us. Any more than Nehemiah could or Daniel. We should fast. Now, there is an incredible story, just an amazing one that I absolutely love, and that's the story of Ahab. I said it's not just the righteous who fast, but it's the wicked as well. God sent a prophet near the end of Ahab's life to warn him of the wrath that was going to descend on him because of his wickedness. We read in 1 Kings 21, it came about when Ahab heard these words, the words of the prophet, the warning, that he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and fasted. And he lay in sackcloth and went about despondently, that is, sadly, downcast. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me and God relented and God did not bring the wrath in Ahab's lifetime. Fasting is powerful. Fasting prevails upon God and God is a God of love who is waiting for you and for me to turn to him in our hour of need. He loves those who fast. His heart goes out to those who fast. Even wicked who fast find the pleasure of God. Will you join me next Wednesday, the 8th of April, in fasting? We're at the beginning of the storm. We see the clouds on the horizon. Here in Toledo, it's not hit us, it's hitting New York. It could hit even harder than than it is right now. We don't know what God has in store. We can fast, but not that we preserved from from illness, that we do pray for our doctors and nurses and others and, and our elderly, but ultimately praying that God will turn our hearts towards him, that there'll be a great turning towards God and that the church will come back to power. Let us pray.